Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. And uh, yesterday we had the Easter egg hunt here at the church. Um, had to postpone it from last week because it was cold and rainy. But uh, we, we had a good turnout. When I got here at 9 o'clock and I started moving, the, moving some tables out, helping some people move some tables out, about halfway through that process of moving the tables out and the chairs out to the parking lot, my, um, my watch notified me that I was exercising. Okay, that's a sad commentary right there. On, on my state, my watch said, his heart rate is abnormal. He must be exercising, right? I don't normally see this level of his heart beating. So my, do you know what I mean? Oh, come on. This is good, right? Yeah, a little heart here. And then, and then... Um, while we were cleaning up yesterday, my watch just decided to stop working. Like it had, it was like, man, I normally do not have to track it this much and I'm just out. So my watch just absolutely stopped. So I don't even know how many steps I wound up having yesterday at the end of the day. Anybody else keep track of steps during their, no, just a few people, just a couple. Wow. So y'all are like me. You don't exercise that much. Yeah. Huh? I think that's what that means. I think that's what that means. All right. <clears throat> this morning, I want to start a little, little more seriously than I normally do. Can I have a little more light in the room? Um, a little more than I normally do. <clears throat> and I've been, I've been thinking about this and, and watching things. And, and um, this is just kind of developed, but not really all that developed. I couldn't go into it a lot. But what I can do is say this. In our culture today, we have ultra-conservatives, conservatives, moderates, liberals, and deconstructionists. That's what we have in, in our society. Now, with each one of those things, there can be various titles that we can put to the different people inside of those things. For instance, moderate, there's moderate conservatives, moderate moderates, moderate liberals, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we're going to keep it with those five. And what I've observed <clears throat> is that we are so concerned with the deconstructionist yeah, thank you. We're so concerned with the deconstructionist that has the what we would call crazy stuff going on, like the shocking stuff. Like we can't believe that society went that far. Like, we can't believe that there are people that actually believe that. Like, we, this over here, that it is moving all of these positions. The ultra-conservatives are not that ultra-conservative anymore. The conservatives are not that conservative anymore. The moderates are more liberal, and the liberals don't know what to do. Okay? They just don't know what to do. They can't go this direction, and they can't go this direction, and so there's a lot of confusion here. So it has moved our morality in a negative direction, is what has happened. So we're so focused on preventing the extreme from happening that the other stuff doesn't seem as bad as it used to seem a couple of years ago. Is everybody with me? So we're so concerned, oh, this is really bad. It could really go there. Well, this isn't that bad. And so what happens is this stuff moves over. And actually, I, be I believe that there are conservatives that are now moderates. And they don't know it. Because they're so concerned with this over here that the shift has happened. And they're not really seeing what's happened. This is a tool of the world to get society to move in a particular direction. That's what it is. I'm here to tell you this morning that I am not ultra-conservative. I am not conservative. I am not moderate. I'm not with those people. I'm not with the liberals. And I'm not with the deconstructionists. I'm with him. I'm with him. Because out of everything else that I've experienced in this world, he is the one that still hasn't changed. And so I'll stay with him. And when you stay with Jesus, you look at the way the culture is moving and you see it more clearly and you do not have to pick a side. 
You do not have to say that you are with this group, this group, this group, this group, or this group. You say that you're with Jesus, and it governs everything that you do. It governs the way that you vote. It governs the way that you act. It governs the way that you live. It governs the way that you interact with people. This person is the only person that should have that authority in your life as a Christian. And you and I must be attached to him and nothing else. Nothing else. If you attach yourself to any other type of system, you will be led into death and sin. That's just the way it is. You will be led into death and sin. And so with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we'll begin reading with verse 1. John chapter 15. And this is what it says. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. A couple of, back when I was a kid, uh, we used to go to my mamaw and papal's house about every other Sunday. And to kind of give you a, a map of what that location kind of looked like, at least housewise, my Uncle Buck lived here, okay? My mamaw and papaw lived here. My um, aunt, my two aunts that everybody loved lived here, okay? This is where they lived. So the reason that we love these two aunts right here was because... This, as a kid, kid's perspective, was boring, boring, fun. Look, you've all had, come on, you've all had people like that when you're a kid. Your uncle over here, he's boring, but this, this, this aunt right here, she's just awesome, right? And what made them awesome was we, we could go... All the cousins, all my cousins could go to their house and at any moment open the refrigerator and grab a Pepsi at any moment. Now, let me explain to you what the Pepsi is. It's not a two liter. It's not a can. It's not these little plastic bottles. It was the real deal glass bottles that they actually recycled. Right? They actually recycled it. And Pepsi tastes so good in those original bottles. Yep. And I'm, I'm really, I pity you if you've never had anything quite like that, but it was absolutely incredible. The Pepsi just drank down. And, and they not only had Pepsi, but on their counter, on their kitchen table, was all kinds of like cookies and, and cake and chips and, and stuff like that. And every Sunday, I would go down with my cousins, and that's where we would eat. It wasn't very healthy, but it was fun. It was fun, right? So we were having a great time. Well, one time when we were there, my cousins and I decided to make a clubhouse, okay? And so we went into this, like, little valley. The house was here. There's this little valley. And we began to cut through vines. And we, we got in these vines and made this little pathway. And then we got some wood. And we nailed them to some trees. And we made this little clubhouse. And we sat inside of it. And we played all afternoon, cutting these vines, making this clubhouse, doing, doing this whole thing. Well, later that night, <clears throat> when I got home, um, I started to have stuff break out on my arms, because the vines that we had cut out to make our little pathway to go to the clubhouse that we were making was poison oak. And we had ripped it out with our minds. And I mean, we had dragged it out. It was all over our face. I mean, we, we were, it, it was very bad. So my mom, and she's a great woman, great woman. I'm not, so if you cringe when I tell you this, that's fine with me. The solution back then for poison oak was to take Clorox and put it in bath water. <clears throat> And then you would get into the bathwater because that dries up the pores. That was, that was the theory. But let me tell you, that is not a lot of fun. 
And when you're covered in poison oak and you hit that water and that stuff starts interacting with those poor, I mean, it is, it is like really, really painful, really painful. But you have to do that in order to, I guess, to dry it up. I guess you had to do that. I, I prefer other methods today than to do that. But nonetheless, you would do that. <clears throat> so, so that's what happens. I tell you that story to tell you a couple of things. First of all, not all vines are safe. Not all vines are safe. Not all vines are good. I've done some research on this. There's 16, about 14, 16 vines that you should not even mess with at all. Some are poisonous. They have very pretty flowers. They look very nice, but they're very poisonous. And the other vines that we could list outside of the 16 that are poisonous are not really good for the environment either. Like there are these vines that go up trees that suck the life out of the trees right? And they kill the trees. They're green-leafed vines. Do what? Kudzu. Kudzu. Yeah, kudzu. I didn't know what they were called. I just know they're green, and they kill trees. And I cut them and get rid of them. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, so here's the, the stuff that, that kills trees. So all vines are not the same. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. That means that he's a good vine, that means anything else that you would attach yourself to is a bad vine for you to be attached to. It is not good for you to attach yourself to this vine over here and this vine over here and this vine over here. The one true vine is what Christians are supposed to be attached to. That is what he is communicating. So attach yourself to him. And it continues. The father is a vine dresser. <clears throat> it's very important. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, keyword there, that it may bear more fruit. And already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So <clears throat> what does that pruning word actually means? Now, I've told you before that I'm not that, I'm not that good with tools and equipment like that. You know, like hammers, which is not really equipment, it's just a tool, right? Or, or like, like circular saws, not really good, kind of wavy when I work a circular saw. Um, I'm safe, I've never cut anything, I've never done anything like that, but, you know, nailing, even, even a, a drill, to drill in just a screw, I, for some reason, I struggle with that. I struggle with doing all that. But the one thing that I do not struggle with is a chainsaw, which might be surprising to you. I can run a chainsaw like nobody's business. I can drop a tree almost anywhere I want to drop it. Something about the way it falls, I just completely understand it. Do my little wedge, let it fall, be done, cut up my logs, and I'm good to go. I'm pretty good with the chainsaw. So we have these things at our house called crepe myrtles, and you probably have them too. Very common plant. <clears throat> I learned a long time ago, like probably 10 to 15 years ago, that it's not a good idea to prune a crepe myrtle with a chainsaw. <laughs> I did that. I had fun while doing that. I thought it was great. I thought they looked awesome. But my wife did not like that too much. I didn't do it right. I didn't prune it right. And she's right. I do not prune things correctly. My idea of pruning is to get rid of it and let it grow back. Right? Just cut it at the bottom about this how often. Just let it grow back. Let nature take care of itself. If it wants to live, it needs to have the desire to live if I'm around. <laughs> this is the way it is. <clears throat> and so I cut these crepe myrtles. Well, the reason I use the chainsaw is because I hate the thing that goes like this. You know, and you wrap yourself around that little branch and you're like, <clears throat> and it's not the little ones, it's the bigger ones. Like you're like, like this, and you're kind of. Like, and all the veins are popping out of your arms and your neck and all that kind of stuff, and you, you're just trying to get it. So the reason I went to the chainsaw was because I like to smell gas burning when I work. I just feel like it's easier. So the chainsaw was easier. So anyway, um, a couple of years later, Nicole was trimming the crepe myrtles. She was out there trimming them, and I was just letting her do her thing because if she wants to, <coughs> she can do it. And she was. She was, she was straining. And I was just watching her, because that's what a good husband does. <laughs> and so she says, she says, Philip, go get the chainsaw. And I went, really? Because I get excited with the chainsaw, really get excited. She said, yeah. 
And so I went inside, I went inside, got my chainsaw, brought it out, and she had a marker on the crepe murders, and mur- murder, mur- mur- yeah, I did murder, myrtles, and she marked where I was supposed to cut. So I cut where she told me to cut, and it was, it was really good. So about three years ago, after this had happened a couple of times, I thought to myself, oh, I wonder if there's any other type of, like, chainsaw that maybe Nicole could use and then she could just do it all, right? She could just do it all, and she can make it exactly as she wants. She wouldn't have to fiddle with the marker. And so I went on Amazon, and I looked for little chainsaws, and lo and behold, they make one. Look at this thing. It's battery-operated. Bought this about three years ago, and this is absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I got this for her. And so what you do is you press this, and you just cut... The branches. Now it will cut up to a four-inch branch. I've done, I've done bigger ones. <laughs> Such a rebel. <laughs> and so, and so she does it. So, so she takes this now and she actually cuts the branches. Now, in this passage of scripture, it says, "Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, <clears throat> and every branch that does bear fruit." He prunes that it may bear more fruit. What if I was to tell you right now that the word for prune there in the Greek is not cutting the branch off? What if I was to tell you that? Because every time we read that passage, I would, I would bet, if I was a betting man, I would bet that you read it, that somehow or another it's pruned like a cut, right? That's how you've read it your entire life. Like it's a pretty like cut, but the, but the Greek word there is not kolodzo. And kolodzo means to mutilate or to prune by cutting. And actually that word, this word that we use like this, is only used twice in the New Testament and it's not used here. So this word for prune is not this, it's something else. The word for prune here is thoreo, thoreo, and that means cleansing, cleansing. So the verse really reads, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he cleanses, that it may bear more fruit, and already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In other words, God the Father, who is the vine dresser, doesn't have his shears out to cut something off of you. He uses his hands. So when he goes to your branch and there's something that needs to be taken off, the little dead part, he just kind of takes it off with his hands. When there are other vines that are growing on it and attaching themselves to your branch and it's sucking the life out of you, God the Father, the vine dresser, takes his hands and he pulls the vines that are attaching to you off of your branch. He uses his hands. Is that not remarkable? Is that not loving? He touches your life to take things out of your life that prevents you from having life in the vine. And he does it with his bare hands. He cleanses you. In the temple, you went to the temple and there were sacrifices that were made by the hands of the priest. They washed their hands in a bowl. They did things with their hands in order to pronounce you clean. When, if you had leprosy or some other type of disease, you would go to the tabernacle and the, and, the, and the priest there would say, hey, you're clean or you're not clean. It wasn't they picked up this stuff and said clean. I mean, let's think about this. What if my mother, when I had poison oak, said, oh, got to get rid of the arm. No, she didn't do that. She didn't say, oh, it's on your leg. Let's shave that off, right? She didn't, she didn't do that. She didn't get out tools like that. She ran a bath with bath water to try to take care of the problem. And that is precisely what God does for you. He is not cutting things off of you. 
He's removing things lovingly with his gracious hands so that you can produce fruit for him. And I think that that is amazing. Why would I not be with him? Somebody that cares for me that much to pull things off of me that I may know that's there or I might not know that's there. And he pulls them out of our lives with his love so that we can bear fruit. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So the text continues. Verse 5. Well, let's go to verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So we're clean by his word. We're not clean by a tool. We're clean by his word. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, unless you say I'm with you, I'm with him, I'm with Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We are totally dependent upon Jesus. We cannot do anything apart from Jesus. But I don't know, I can do some things apart from Jesus. Yeah, but it winds up in death. Let's just be honest. It's not good things. The only good things that come into this world that are really good, truly good, are done by people that are attached to Jesus Christ and they're ministering and serving the world. That is the only place it comes from. So it continues, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. By the way, uh, when it comes to vines and branches, uh, a vine branch is worthless, absolutely worthless outside of the vine. You do not have any piece of furniture in your house that was made out of vine wood because it's worthless. Right? It's absolutely worthless. You can't eat at a table made out of vine wood. You can't do that. Nobody does that because it's not strong enough. So it's worthless. So he gets rid of that. And then in verse 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's pretty, pretty an amazing thing. And ask whatever you wish. If you abide in the vine, it will be done for you. So you have to think in terms of the context of what that verse actually means. Like, what, what is he saying? He's not saying that you can ask for anything that you want. He's, asked, he's saying that as a branch that is abiding in the vine, you can ask the vine anything, and God will supply that to you. So what are some of those things? What are some of those things that, that a branch would pray for that the vine could supply to the branch? Is everybody tracking with me? I didn't know if that was clear or confused. Everybody with me on that? Like the branch asking the vine. What kind of prayers are those? Well, here are those kind of prayers. Okay? First, to stay connected. You can pray to God the Father to ask him to keep you connected to the vine. And that is a prayer that he always answers, yes, I will do that for you. If you desire to be connected to the vine, you should just say, Lord, Heavenly Father, please help me stay connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, so that I can have life. That is a prayer that he always answers. Here's a second one. For nourishment. Every branch that is attached to the, to the vine wants nourishment, right? You need food. So, as a Christian, we can say, look, Father, I feel famished. I feel like some of my leaves are wilting. I feel like this isn't a good time. I, I just feel unenergized. I, Father, I just need some nourishment. I've been studying this passage of Scripture for a very long period of time, and I, I wish that you would show me something to nourish my soul. And so you ask, Je- you ask God, the Father, to nourish you through Jesus Christ, and he will nourish you. That is a, that is a, a prayer that he will answer. So if you're in a state of like, you know, spiritual blah, you ever get there? Like spiritual blah? I do. Am I the only one in the room? Okay. You get to play, oh, yeah, I don't feel like doing this anymore type deal. You know, you're, you're not really sure what's going on. I'm not really growing right now. Well, 
the prayer that you need to pray is, Lord, I don't feel like I'm growing. I need to grow. Nourish me and give me the food I need to grow. The next one, of course, we've already covered, and that's for cleansing. We pray for cleansing, and that is a prayer that Jesus always answers, that God the Father always answers. He will always cleanse you, always will, if you ask him. That is a prayer he will answer. And here's another one. You might be like, what in the world is this about? But we pray for sap, (laughs) for sap. The way a vine works is that sap goes through the vine into the branches and produces what is called fruit. It's from the sap that goes through. The sap that we're actually praying for is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the sap of the Christians that Christian that goes through his or her lives and produces fruit in their life. It's the Holy Spirit. So in this passage of Scripture, you may never have seen this before, but the Trinity is represented. Jesus Christ is the vine. God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the farmer. And then the Holy Spirit is the sap that produces fruit into your life. And so you ask God the Father to give you the sap that you need, to give you the Holy Spirit, so that you'll have the power and the wisdom to make it through this life. And that is a prayer that Jesus, God the Father, that God always answers. He always answers that prayer. Now this next one is one that's kind of odd because it has nothing to do, seemingly, with a vine and a branch. Nothing at all to do. But Jesus says that it does. And here it is. To love people. To love people. So how does that work with the vine? Because I get all the other stuff. But you're telling me that if I ask God the Father to help me love people, that he will actually do that. And the answer to that question is yes, he will answer that question. He'll answer that prayer every single time. He'll answer that prayer for you. So let's continue to read in the, in the text here. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you may bear uh, much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my what? Abide in my love. So abiding in the vine is abiding in Christ's love. It's abiding in God the Father's love for you. That's part of it. So if you're going to abide in this vine, you can pray that God will help you love other people, and he will do that for you. So verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but this might be something you can look up. There is a difference in the scripture between God the Father's commandments and Christ's commandments. You'll have to look that up to see how that all works out. But this passage, if you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So everybody is abiding. Everybody is saying, I'm with him. Everybody is saying, I'm abiding in the love of God the Father and Jesus. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You love one another as I have loved you. So not only is it abiding in the vine that that prayer will be answered, it is also a commandment that Jesus is going to respond to because he commanded you to do it. And if you pray for it, he will give you the power to love other people. That is what he will do. But see, the problem is you and I do not always abide in the love of the vine. See, you and I, and you'll have to admit this at some level, you and I can get very upset at people. Right? We can get very upset with people, so much so that we pick up our cutters and we say, I'm going to prune those people out of my life. Right? We get so upset. Right? And the moment we pick up our tool to prune someone out of our life is the moment that we are no longer abiding in the vine because we're not abiding in love. 
might work like this. Somebody over here, I'm so upset at them, but I'm not going to go talk to them. What I'm going to do is I'm grabbing my cutter, and I'm going over here with my group of friends, and I'm going to tell them about the bad stuff that they did. And the reason you do that is because you want your group of friends to detach from that person so that you feel safe with your group of friends. Come on. I've done it, you've done it. Cut ties. Wasn't that awesome? You see, what you should have done is you shouldn't have done that at all. What you should have done is you should have resisted the temptation to pick up your pruning shears. You should have taken a moment to say, Lord, right now, I do not love that person. You've all been there. You've all been there. I do not love that person. So what I need to do, first, not go to them. I don't need to go to them yet. The first thing you need to do is you need to abide in the love of the Father and the Son. And so you sit. Oh. Every time you try to sit down in the love of Jesus, there is always something that will prevent you from doing it effectively. Right? You try to sit down in the love of Jesus, and there's always something blocking you, blocking your way. And so maybe the first thing you have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I need to remove this so that I can sit down and abide in your love. And you remove it from the chair and you sit down. And now you're in the love of God. And you just sit there. The prayer might go like this. Lord, I, I have no idea why you love them. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I've said that. I don't know, I, Lord, I don't know why you love them, but I know that you do. Help me to love them. Help me to see them like you see them. Help me to do that. Currently, right now, that, Lord, this is beyond my capability, but what I want to do is I want to abide in your love and your love abide in me so that I can see them like you see them. And you sit here until you love them a little bit. Because I'm being real. Right? You, it's seldom that I ever sit here in God's love until I love them the way that God loves them, and it's all, all of a sudden huge. It starts with just a little bit of me caring about them is where it starts. And it's at the point that I start caring about them that I start thinking about their best interests just a little bit that I know that it's time that I continue to abide in the love of God and I'll allow that to grow in my life. And then what happens over a period of time is I figure out if I really need to approach them or not. Because sometimes it is just me that is being stupid. Anyone else? Just me being stupid. Somehow I got too emotional over whatever it was. They didn't even mean it that way. God loves them. And when I'm abiding in their love, I realize that, well, I, I get why they did that. So I, I really don't need to approach them. I really don't need to start harm that I don't need to start. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Sometimes I don't need to start harm that I don't need to start. Sometimes I just need to get to the place where I love them like God loves them. And if... The problem just kind of goes away at that point. This isn't passive-aggressive. This is wisdom. You let it go. But if it's a problem that you know you have to work out with that individual, you get to the place where you love them, you care for them, you want what's in the best interest for you and that person, and you go to that person and you work it out with them. That is how you do this. See, the first step in conflict resolution is to figure out how to sit down and abide in Jesus' love. 
That is the first step of conflict resolution. You abide until you love that individual at least a little bit like Jesus loves them. And then you move. So let me just go through a couple of things about what love really is. Okay, what love really is. Because we have a screwy view of that too. So here's a couple of things. First, love isn't letting people you love do whatever they want to do. Love isn't letting people you love do whatever they want to do and be okay with it. Love means you want what's best for them. That's what it means. I'm afraid that too many Christians have enabled family members to continue to go down the road of sin and they haven't stood in the way of them going down that road. And because of the relational tension, you didn't want to confront them because of whatever would happen. You were kind of afraid of that. And you didn't want them to think that you didn't love them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get it, I get it. But what you've done in allowing them to go down that road and not standing in their pathway is you haven't done what's best for them and you haven't really loved them and the only person that you have loved is yourself because you're protecting yourself, not them. Here's the next one. Love doesn't mean to keep the relationship at all cost. Love does not mean to keep that relationship at all cost. Love means pursuing what's best for that person. I know that's the same thing that I said before. But that's the key, right? It isn't um, keeping the relationship at all costs. It's pursuing what is best for them. I have a um, 55-gallon fish tank at my house. I love fish. They don't come up to you and lick you in the face. They're just awesome. So I have a fish tank. And on the top of my fish tank used to be a plastic covering. You know, you have the plastic covering and you have the light. Well, a couple of years ago, my plastic covering contraption broke. And I couldn't fix it. There's no way to fix it that I know of right now. And so currently, my fish tank is open on the very top of it. And I just have a light on top of it. There's a filtration system and all kinds of stuff like that. Well, um, and don't worry about the fish. I don't know if you know this or not, but ponds don't have plastic coverings. So they're just fine. They're just fine. So um, I have, however, bought fish that have decided to jump out of the tank. Has anybody ever had that happen before? Yeah, they just kind of jump out of the tank, right? There's been a couple of times that I've been there when they jumped out of the tank, and then I picked them up off the ground, and I put them back in the tank. The reason I put them back in the tank is because it's to their benefit to be in water and not on my carpet right? And when you and I keep the relationship at all costs, this is what we do. There's someone that we know what's best for them is to stay in the tank, but they jump out of it. And instead of trying to get them back into the tank, we're going to keep our relationship with them because at all costs, this is who they are. And we're just going to accept who they are. They're fishes out of water. And we're just going to accept where they are, and we're going to leave them there to die. Do you see what just happened? Sometimes, and I would say most, if not all, all the time, it is better to help the one that's jumped out of the tank get back in the water, because in the water is where they can live an abundant life. And outside of the water... Is where they go to destruction. It is uncaring. It is uncaring to not tell people that's not the way you should live. It is uncaring. There's nothing caring about that. Well, we need to accept them where they are. If you do that, you are accepting people in their dead condition rather than helping them get to a living condition. Is everybody with me on this? So love 
isn't letting the fish stay out of the tank. It's putting the fish back. And I'll be honest with you, there's a couple of times the fish jumped out in the middle of the night, there was nothing I could do about it, right? If I could have, I would have, but I couldn't do about it. On the carpet, about that afternoon, you realized what was on the carpet, if you know what I'm saying, because fish smell good when they're dead, right? So you don't, you, love means you do the things that are in the best interest of the person that you're trying to help. Here's another thing. Love means doing things that is in the people's best interest. When they don't agree, it's in their best interest. Love means doing things for people that is in their best interest. When they don't agree, it's in their best interest. Hmm. Isn't that what Jesus does for you all the time? Isn't it? You ever had that morning where you just can't get out of the house and something happens to you that's not really pleasant and so it prevents you from getting out of the house? Or you're late to work and you're going down the road and it just happens to be the moment that the farmer decided to take his tractor down the road, the two-lane road. You ever have that happen to you and it slows you down? You can't pass them. I'm not against farmers. I'm just saying you can't pass them. And it's the moment. It's like, oh, just can't get there. Or it's a group of bicyclists. Right? And you just can't get past the bicyclist. And it's so inconvenient to be behind, be behind that, that tractor. It's so inconvenient to be behind all those bicyclists. You can't get to where you're going. Have you ever stopped a moment to realize that there's nothing that happens in your life that isn't under the providential care of the vine? And maybe being behind those people that are on their bikes and behind that tractor is preventing you from having a worse accident further down the road. Or timing you to get to a place at the appropriate time you're supposed to be there to meet the person that you're supposed to meet. God often does things to us that we think aren't in our best interest, that we struggle with when he does them, but every time he does them, he's always doing what is best for us in that moment. And ladies and gentlemen, if we abide in that type of love, that means that we do the same thing for our children. We do the same thing for our friends. We do the same thing for our family members. Let's talk about kids a minute. Just a minute. You ever told your kid to do something that they didn't understand why you were telling them to do it? Or you put like provisions on their electronic devices so they couldn't get to certain things and they said, well, all my friends, well, not you, right? And you do stuff like that and they don't realize the significance of what you have done in that moment, but later in life, they start to realize after they get some life experience what mom and dad were trying to do. They were trying to protect, they were trying to help, and they realize what they were, they were trying to do. I have found that this happens after the child has children. Right? Child has children, and all of a sudden, they have to protect and care for that child. And all of a sudden, what mom and dad did was very smart in protecting the kids. Right? The same thing goes in life. You have a friend that is just confused and emotionally mixed up. That is an open door to have a conversation with them about how they can get clarity in their life. And you and I have the number one answer, and that is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. If they're not saved, you start there. I don't care what they're doing. If they're not saved, could care less what they're doing. They have to get saved before their life cleans up. They have to get saved before the vine can be cleaned up by God the Father. They have to be saved by that, and that's where you start. Or you start with the issue, and you try to help them through it. But you do what's best for them. You don't put up with it. You do what's best for them. And you only do it because you love them. Okay? Love is a connection. You're connected to the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus flows through you. So that's what you pray for as a branch. 
Let's start to wrap this up and go to verse 14. This is what it says. <clears throat> you are my friends if you do what I command you. Wow. Jesus says that you are my friends. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. My father, I have made known to you. You are my friends. Jesus is saying to you, I'm with them. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is saying, I'm with them. Now listen, I can get why I say that I'm with Jesus. I get that all day long. I do not understand why Jesus would say that he's with me. I don't get that. But I accept it as a gift of grace from him. And I think it's incredible. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just call you friends. In verse 16 it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that wherever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Not only are you his friends, but he chose you to be his friends. He chose you. Haven't we all gone through life hoping that someone would choose us to be their friend? Yes. We're relational. If you're married, you are choosing a friend to live the rest of your life with. I know it's more than a friend. I know that, but that's what you are doing. If you have best friends, you have chosen someone to be your friend, to have that camaraderie. Jesus Christ, who created you, chose you to be his friend. He says, I am with him. I am with her. I am with them. Those are my people. And you know what the awesome thing is about that? That whole thing, the awesome thing is about that, that whole thing, not only, not only does he choose me, I don't have to choose anybody else to be my friend. He's my friend. He's all I need. Because in choosing Jesus to be my friend, I now have brothers and sisters in Christ that are more than friends. Come on, church. Jesus is my friend. I don't need any friends here. I've got family. I've got family, and I'll love my family, and you should love your family too. There's a um, story I heard a long time ago. I don't, I don't remember who from, so, you know, whatever. But it's a story about a lady that bought a parrot. She bought a parrot. So she went to the pet store, talked to the pet store person, bought a parrot, took him home, had the cage, newspaper in the bottom. The parrot didn't speak, so the next day, she went back to the pet store and said, my parrot isn't speaking. And the owner of the pet store said, well, do you have a ladder in your cage? And she said, no, I don't have a ladder. Well, probably the parrot just needs some exercise. Go up and down the ladder and he'll probably start speaking. So she took the ladder home, put it in the cage, and lo and behold, the parrot started going up and, up and down the ladder. It was awesome, but the parrot didn't speak. So the next morning, she went back to the pet store, talked to the pet store owner and said, he's still not speaking. He said, well, Maybe the parrot's exhausted from going up and down the ladder. Maybe he needs something fun to do. So why don't you get a swing, right? Get a swing to put in there. And so she said, okay, I'll buy a swing. So she bought a swing. She took it home, put it in the cage. And lo and behold, the parrot went up and down the ladder and swung on the swing. But no words. So she went back the next day. She said, look... <clears throat> I don't know why the parent isn't talking at all. The parent isn't talking at all. And he said, well, do you have a mirror in your cage? And she said, no. Um, he said, well, sometimes when a parent sees itself, it will talk to itself, and that's how it gets started talking. And she said, why didn't you tell me that two days ago? So she got the mirror. She took it home. She put it in the cage. And the very next day, the parent died. Died. So she went back to the store and she said, my parrot died. And the owner said, well, did he say anything before he passed? <laughs> and she said, yeah. Does the place you're buying all this stuff have food? 
I'm afraid that there's too many Christians that are so attached to the trinkets of Christianity, they have forgotten to abide in the life of the vine. We've got our t-shirts, we've got our little stickers on our car, we've got our Christian music. We attach ourselves to all this worship stuff, the worship thing, a lot of people do. They think that's where the life is. But I'm telling you, that is not where the life is. The life is in the vine. And then all the trinkets mean more. I'm not against trinkets, I'm not against worship music, I'm not against that, but I think Christians have their faith in the wrong place and they're abiding in the wrong types of stuff. And what you and I need to do is we need to abide in Jesus Christ the vine and say that I'm with him and him alone. That's what we need to do. He is where we get our nourishment. And that's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. And we thank you this morning that we can be dependent upon you. If we're really honest at the core of our soul, we know that you are the only thing that's dependable in this world. The only thing. If we're really honest with ourselves and with you, we have tried other things. And somehow when we tried those other things, we still feel lost. No matter how much we believed in them, no matter how much we pushed for them, we still felt lost when we were pursuing those things and trying to abide in those things. So Father, if that is anyone in this room, I pray that in this moment that they make the commitment to abide in you, to abide in your love, to abide in the vine. To quit trying to figure out what title they need to slap on themselves. But instead, just slap on the title, I'm with Jesus and he's enough. I pray that as they do that, they will seek your word, they will read your word, they will pray to you. They'll sit and experience your presence. The more they do that, the more they will find that you're enough. You're enough. Pray for the individual in this room that may not have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And maybe that's where they need to start. In fact, it is. So pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, calling of your Holy Spirit. You'll call that individual to salvation and they will respond and be saved. So work in our hearts. Where we have been challenged this morning, don't let us soon forget that. And just encourage us on our way to continue to abide in you. And so we ask all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. The altar is open for you. I'm also here to pray for you as well as we sing this song.